scheduled in the bottom of the ninth. Look out! Oh, my goodness. The 0-1. Oh, that got him, and it got him in the face. Oh, my goodness. Well, after the little oh, okay. practice. There we go. There we go. So, that's it. Hello and welcome. You are up and in with the Chin Music Podcast. I am Nick, your host. With the same introductions as two weeks ago, because it is finals week, and I haven't had time to make new introductions. So, alongside me today, I've got the deepest pit of college baseball knowledge. Someone who is so incredible at podcasting that the only thing he does better is husk corn. Nebraska native, Ben. Ben, what is your favorite time of year for sports? Um, I'm going to go with fall. You got MLB playoffs. You have the start of football. Perfectly crisp weather. Gotta love it. I think I'm in agreement with you there. I'm also honored to welcome high school football district champion and the greatest intramural quarterback that Truman State University has ever seen. Legend has it he can hit a dime from 60 yards with his eyes closed. Number six on the field, but number four on this podcast, Palmyra native Brock. Brock, what is your favorite holiday? Oh boy, I would say my favorite holiday is um, Christmas. Uh, anytime I'm getting gifts. It's a great time of the year. Couldn't have said it any better. And last but certainly not least, we have the greatest Valorant player on the west side of the Mississippi. It's a shame he's had to turn down offers from every Valorant esports team so he could remain fully committed to our dynasty fantasy baseball league. Please carry me out of bronze, Vansel. Vansel, what is your favorite time of the year for the weather? Uh, I would go with the fall. You got a fan, or baseball playoffs. You got a college football. <laughs> the weather's nice and crisp. For the weather, I changed the question with you and Ben. Ben was sports. Yours was weather. I know I shouldn't have cheated off his answers. Um, I mean, same answer. It's the fall. Uh, it's the nice, cool weather where it's not too hot, not too cold, but without the allergies. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's probably the correct answer as well. So first thing that we need to address, everybody wants to know what's going on. There's some tea around the pod. We usually do, we've had a new segment, tea around the league. We've got some tea around the pod this week. Ben, what is going on at Truman State University? Please inform us. Uh, so our network got hacked last Friday. Uh, they're currently holding it ransom for an undetermined amount of money, the university Felt we didn't need to know that information, but uh, I can't access any of my, uh, you know, homework websites, my Google Docs, my college email. Uh, we are a week and a half from finals, so this is definitely a sticky situation for the university. Uh, from what I've been told, this type of attack usually takes like a couple weeks to fix, so uh, we'll see if they can get it done, but uh, really hoping I won't have to take any finals. What has the school told you? Like, what has their communication with you been? And how have they been communicating with you if you don't have access to your email or anything like that? So they have our, like, phone numbers on file, I guess. So they've been sending us, like, update texts, but they're all super vague. It's like, we're hoping to have this done here. But they've failed on every deadline thus far. That they've, like, the, the rough deadlines they've given us. So they were like, we're hoping to have the Wi-Fi back up by Tuesday. 
And then we get another one that's like, the Wi-Fi is not back up. We're hoping to get it back up by Friday. So I think they're just going to keep pushing it back until they either pay the hacker or, you know, just give us all degrees for doing no work at the end of the year, you know, either way. What was that first message that you got from the school? And like, what was your reaction? And what did you like start like talking to like, what is going on? They, they just like said there was some sort of vague cyber attack. Um, and that the network would be down for an undetermined amount of time. Um, so we were all just kind of like, what the heck? One of my roommates saw like an FBI agent on campus. So we figured it was, uh, there was some real stuff going on considering, you know, I don't think the FBI really sends people for, uh, for minor hacking incidences. And, uh, every day the, the news just keeps getting worse. <laughs> that is incredible. I can't. I honestly cannot believe that. You think they pay the ransom and then try to track the ransom? I have no idea. I've seen I've seen a lot of like uh, you know FBI shows and stuff. I'm sure they'll try and get some sort of a get some sort of a switcheroo where they've got the money, but they're gonna get the guy type deal. The that's Trojan horse. Yeah, I cannot believe that's happening. Um, yeah, that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. When I got the text, cause I've still have some friends at Truman had a couple people message me. I cannot believe, especially during finals. Like if they can't get it back up, do you, they have to just like pay and get it back up? Right. Like if they literally can't get it back up through, through finals, like, do you think they'll just postpone it? Or do you think they'll like, what's, what are they going to do? And is there any word on who this is? Like if they come out and said like, Oh, this is, you know, this person or this organization asking, if they just want money, they're probably not like wanting any sort of infamy or anything like that. I don't think you can push finals back though, because people have set job offers and like start times and stuff like that. So if you make us go to school longer, I mean, you're, you're kind of messing up people's like already laid plans. So I've heard a rumor that they will just basically pass fail us the rest of the way. What about uh, like papers and stuff? Like if you had anything that's been due over the, like you said it shut down on Friday, right? And this is Tuesday. So it's time to shut down yeah. five days. Yeah, my 25 page capstone was due today. <laughs> so I had to go to the Adair County Public Library to get a hard copy. It cost me $10 to print my 30 pages. Uh, <laughs> and you just had to like walk into your professor's office or something or yeah i just walked into her office and handed it to her and she was like thank you this is gonna like lighten my load because like other people like you know like weren't even ready so she's gonna have to like put so much reading in a small period of time that she was like wow you're you're one of the few people who turned it in on time thank you this is gonna make my life easier but for most people they're just kind of pushing deadlines back yeah we'll see though well, how are professors getting in contact with you? Because you said the school's got your number, but I doubt like professors like texting all their students. Um, we've gotten personal emails from some of them. Okay. And some of them are just like show up to class. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, yeah, that's right. I guess you're still in class. So that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's crazy. Because I imagine I don't like I was an absolute when it came to like file organization in college, I was very bad. Like, I feel like a lot of my stuff was honestly just in Google Docs with my school email. 
And I didn't even have like folders on my computer to separate out like classes and stuff. Like it was just all like either in my downloads or documents or on Google Docs. So I'd imagine I probably would have been in rough shape had this happened. Yeah, everyone was kind of panicking for the first few days, but now we're all kind of sitting back like, well, whatever, I guess, free days off pretty much. Yeah, I mean, that's... you literally can't turn in assignments unless it's they want it in a hard copy. So that's absolutely crazy. You will have to keep us updated on this. I, I tried to like check on like social media and like different news, but there wasn't I couldn't really find a ton of solid information on what exactly is going on. So you'll have to you'll have to keep us posted. You're inside guy. All right, let's get Vansel and Brock in on the conversation and talk about some tea around the league. Um, I'm going to actually switch the uh, order of the tea around the league here. We've got a couple of pieces of tea, but I want to talk about the other one first because it's the one I have the most opinions about and the one that I've thought about the most over the course of the last week. The A's, the Oakland A's have more or less officially announced that they are going to be moving to Vegas. Um, I think... From my perspective, I'm pretty disappointed. Um, I think a lot of teams seem to be starting up franchises in Vegas. And it's, I suppose, it, it's, I guess it's ex kind of exciting to have like a new city that's kind of budding all of these new, you know, teams with the hockey team they just got. They just got the football team. Now they're getting a baseball team. It's like, in a sense, it's kind of exciting. But I just feel like people that are going to go to, sports games in Vegas like are they really I don't know it just seems like it's going to be like people coming in and out and there aren't going to be a lot of like real fans I think especially because all the rule change and stuff they're worried about baseball dying or you know whatever it might be I don't think it's actually dying but that's what it seems like they're worried about trying to shorten game time and stuff applied or like kind of cater to a new audience I think moving the A's personally to Mexico would have been amazing I think there's tons of cities that would have loved an MLB team. And I think it would have been a lot of fun. I read this athletic article about um, a, a couple of cities in Mexico that would be like great new hosts that are kind of like um, up and coming cities. And I think that getting it a whole new country in on Major League Baseball, because then they're going to want to be watching teams from in their division. And they're going to be obviously watching their team and like with, with the Blue Jays, like it's like the whole, I feel like the whole country is behind the Blue Jays, which is awesome. And I think adding Mexico into that would have been really cool, especially after they just really showed out in the uh, World Baseball Classic. So I am personally disappointed to see the A's moving to Vegas. Also, I just think the whole, I mean, coming from St. Louis, I'm probably a little bit jaded on owners like driving their team into the ground and then blaming their fans and then leaving the city type deal. Um I'll, I'll throw it to you, Brock. I don't know if you have any thoughts on the A's leaving to Vegas. Yeah, I, we, your whole jadedness was going to be my first talking point. It, it, uh, it gives a lot of uh, the old St. Louis Rams where they seemingly, seemingly purposefully tanked the team and then killed the fan interest, the city interest in the team. In the long-term plan to move the team to uh, greener pastures. So, I agree. I sent that video. Um, there was a clip of, I think it was the late thousands, maybe when the athletics were kind of at their peak and it was absolutely electric. Like the Coliseum was rocking. Um, it really gave you chills just watching it. And the stark contrast between 
the empty stadiums now versus when it was packed and like it showed that this city has the capacity to support a team that is competitive and they try to field a winning team so that's definitely disheartening to see them again seemingly tank on purpose with the sole um reason because they 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 have plans to move to vegas um and then with these new teams in las vegas Honestly, I'm not a huge fan. I think that a little bit of that comes from me being a Chiefs fan and the Raiders were moved from Oakland to Las Vegas. So I agree, like watching those Raiders games when they play the Chiefs in Las Vegas, it's half red um, because people just fly into Vegas, they gamble and they go watch a game. And you're right. I don't think that they have the same buy-in and maybe they do down the road, but at least right now, I think the whole draw is people from other other cities coming in to watch games which seems like counter to the whole you know building a team that your city supports that we're so accustomed to here in Missouri and St. Louis so also I just I'm not a big sports gambling person I think that it kind of I don't know it just feels greasy and kind of slimy to um, the integrity of the game and competitiveness so that's just me personally but I'm not a big fan of Vegas as a city and I'm not a not a huge fan of all of these new teams that are being drawn into Las Vegas in part because sports gambling is now legal like I think that plays a big part in in the draw so not a huge fan and hate to see the A's uh, go to Vegas you got to wonder where their AAA team is going to go because I believe the Las Vegas Aviators maybe Ben is that correct is it the Aviators that are in Vegas yeah, they currently do have a their AAA team is in Vegas, and I'm, I'd be interested to see uh, how um, the the park plays in Vegas because the Aviators Field's an absolute launching pad. It's probably going to be Coors 2.0. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it, Vansel. Uh, you've been personally burned by the St. Louis Rams leaving town. <laughs> shed some light on how you feel about teams skipping town yeah i mean it's never fun from the fans perspective when you've grown up rooting for that team all your life and then it's just ripped from you and it it just wasn't your fault and there was nothing you could do about it uh listening to the baseball is dead podcast they brought up a kind of interesting point where rob manfred and the commissioner's office was talking about how they want to uh, have more diversity in the sport and reach those more uh, urban areas and Oakland is kind of a place to do that versus Las Vegas so they're saying one thing doing another thing especially when Manfred has been kind of assisting this they've said that they don't want to expand the league until all 30 teams are like fully competitive and trying so this makes it 29 out of 30 so I think Manfred was really just under the table trying to push this because of that and I mean I'm sure it will help the game to have you know the Las Vegas market more into it versus the Oakland market where they don't try and have uh, possums in the visitors broadcast booth but uh, I mean no one wins really except for the except for the owner I guess and Andy Las Vegas fans, but for Oakland, it's not fun. And I feel like a lot of fans can put themselves in Oakland A's fans' shoes and be like, man, 
if my team left, I would be very distraught and want to know what to do. Yeah, I think you all kind of said some interesting things there. Brock specifically, it's kind of crazy that I didn't think about this, but like the sports gambling aspect of it. Um, I don't personally sports gamble, but I know a lot of people um, like in my class and stuff that do a lot of sports gambling. And I, I think it, it adds a little bit to the game. Like I always will like be texting my roommate asking what his bets are for the night so I can watch the game and like have a little bit more invested, you know? And I think I enjoy that. I don't think I want my money on the line hypothetically, but I think that it is fun kind of living vicariously through his bets. Um, and I guess that is one aspect I didn't really think about, like getting that Vegas market involved could be good, but I'm more like with what you said, Brock, about like the games just being 50, 50 fans all the time. I feel that like Vegas is never really going to have that strong fan base and people will always use it as an excuse, like away teams will make like a weekend trip out of it and go to the Vegas games. I think it's just going to be tough to have like a full Vegas fan base supporting their team every week. Vansley. Oh, I want to do any of us know what the, the golden Knights fan sections are like at their home games. I know just from my anecdotal experience, when the blues were playing the Vegas golden Knights, when I was in town, I didn't go to the blues game, but I was like out and about around town afterwards. And I saw a lot of blues fans like wearing blue mm -hmm. stuff around I was, Vegas. I was going to say, cause you know, football's once a week, you know, there's what nine home games versus 82. I think that'll have some impact on it. Yeah. And I guess I didn't realize that their minor league team, I don't know if it's triple A or double A or whatever it is, is in Vegas. So maybe, there is a little bit of an A's fan base. If there is any sort of fan base in Vegas already, that could that could contribute yeah. a little bit too. That's true. Maybe they just flip flop and send the AAA team to Oakland. Um, one thing, just to play a little devil's advocate, I do remember the past few years that there have been several attempts to like purchase land in Oakland, and I feel like a lot of those have like fallen through. Whether it was like purposefully to just say like, well, we tried to buy some land to build a stadium but we couldn't find any but i mean i think i think that they own or they rent the coliseum from the city of oakland if i remember correctly i i, I just know there were a lot of variables with the stadium and that they didn't fully own the stadium and they couldn't just like what bush stadium did where bush two or whatever that was they just leveled it and then built bush three or bush four whatever one we're at now pretty much in the same same area so in Oakland's defense, I do know that they had some feeble attempts at trying to build a new stadium, but again, I think it was all the guys, and they wanted to get out of there anyway, Bansel. Yeah, it definitely was just a, hey, look, we're trying kind of thing, because to my knowledge, it was, we want this waterfront stadium, but we're not going to help fund it, so the taxpayers have to pay for it, so that it would never pass a vote, which it didn't. It was like, well, we tried. It's your fault. It's the fans' fault. They don't even care about getting like a new venue. Why would they, you know, care about a, a baseball team kind of thing? So it was just up front. Sounds like the old Stan Kroenke method of removal. <clears throat> so we can we can move on. I think we talked enough about that. Unless Ben, you got anything to say about the 
A's leaving. You're good. We got some more tea around the league. We got pitchers and sticky substances. I saw something interesting that there have only been three ejections since the uh, sticky substance ban, and they've all been the same umpire ejections. Now you can interpret that in a couple of different ways. One, he's like, you know, being, you know, rude about it. And I don't know, he's some sort of a corrupt umpire, or you can interpret it as he's the only one that's actually doing his job and like checking for these sticky substances and actually ejecting people for it. I don't really know which way I see it or what I think necessarily. Um, I did think it was interesting and this could just been event could have just been because Max Scherzer is kind of a psycho and is just a crazy person, but he was like swearing on his kid's life on the field that it was just rosin and sweat, which is legal to use just rosin and sweat. Um, but then I was kind of confused because when the opportunity came to appeal the suspension, he's like, I'm not going to appeal it. And I felt like if he really was using legal substances, I don't understand in what circumstance you would not appeal it. I guess I'm not fully, fully up to date. You guys can kind of help me out on what the reasoning would be to not appeal it if you were just doing legal things. Um, but I am... I don't know. I, I thought it was just an interesting situation. And I don't know if you guys think of anything about the same umpire being the one doing all these ejections, but also like with the Domingo Armand thing that Vansel talked about at the end of the last pod, how they told him to wash his hands. He went back, washing hands. And then he was fine for the rest of the game. They did kind of something similar with Scherzer. They told him to wash his hands and then he went back and washed his hands. And then the next time he came out, he got ejected or it was something like that. I don't know the exact timeline, but Max Scherzer would be absolutely insane if they were like, you know, feeling his hands and like a little bit suspicious and said, Hey, you need to wash your hands. And then he came back out still with this, you know, illegal substance. That would be absolutely crazy. If that was the actual timeline. Uh, Vansel looks like you're first on this topic. What do you got? Yeah. I can give a little more details on the whole situation too. Uh, like you said, they did ask him to go wash his hands. Uh, he went down there, he used uh, rubbing alcohol to take the sweat and rosin off, but then the rubbing alcohol is sticky at first whenever you first apply it. So then when he went back out there, uh, they were, his hands were still sticky after more sweat and more rosin and the alcohol combined, which led to, I believe the umpires feel cuzzy to eject him and he said that it was, quote, the stickiest hands he's ever felt since they've done, started doing the, the sticky substance check. Um, and then his reasoning for not appealing it is that it is not a third-party arbitrator, it is an MLB arbitrator. So there would be no nothing new to come of it. And when he was washing his hands, also, they had an MLB official there watching him wash his hands and do everything the – MLB required him to do, and then he still proceeded to get ejected. So it's just kind of a, uh, it seems as if uh, MLB doesn't really have a firm grasp on what is sticky, what is allowed, and how do we keep players from having these sticky, illegal sticky substances versus the legal sticky substances. I think the the main problem is uh, you were close, Vance. So the rubbing alcohol isn't sticky, but when you mix rubbing alcohol and rosin, it actually becomes incredibly sticky. 
And the umpire was actually the one who told him to wash it with alcohol. Um, there was actually a broadcaster who did a test. He did kind of the rosin and sweat thing to see how sticky it would get. And then he washed his hands with rubbing alcohol. And it became so sticky that he could put the ball on like two of his flat fingers. And it like, like stayed on his fingers with like no support from the bottom. So, I mean, this seems like a major error by the umpire and crew, just not understanding how rosin reacts with alcohol. Um, I totally believe Max Scherzer wasn't using anything illegal. I mean, you can look up that video, but it, it clearly shows that the rubbing alcohol activates the rosin even further. And I, that's where the stick was absolutely coming from. Yeah. My understanding is it's kind of like subjective for the, for the umpires. Like there's a level of stickiness that they, they're, they're not, they're not going to allow. And this guy, apparently his subjective stickiness is a lot, less sticky than other or a lot more sticky less sticky whichever way that goes sticky than other umpires um my confusion is they were outlawing the spider tack right that's what it was called um and we can use a rosin and sweat but if one person's rosin and sweat is stickier than another person's rosin and sweat where do you draw the line because exactly what you said at the beginning domingo armand was apparently too sticky but they let him come back out if he went and washed his hands and it was more sticky than it was before, how is that Max Scherzer's fault? Um, yeah, the whole dropping the appeal is a bit, I think he just didn't want to fight it. And I think Mansell talked on that and that was correct. Was it Buster only that did the old sticky substance? Because I can't imagine what the spider tack was like if it was more sticky than what he was illustrating because he was, the ball was just stuck when his hand was vertical the ball was just stuck there which is crazy to me that that's that's what their hands are like when they're pitching Mansell forgot to unmute um yeah with that spire tech stuff they can see the spin rates real time so they kind of have an idea of when someone's actually using an illegal substance to increase spin rates so i've i've heard theories on twitter where it's just like, why not have somebody tracking these spin rates? So then if it's up the 300, 400 uh, rotations per second, minute, whatever it is, uh, like then you know, hey, this guy might be using something versus his spin rates are normal. He's probably using a legal sicky substance. And if you recall, when uh, before Trevor Bauer was first suspended, and the sticky substances kind of started. He posted a video on his Instagram where the ball was just sticking to his hand and not dropping. He was like, hey, can you guys tell? Is this legal or illegal? And it was just sweat and rosin was all it was. Like, it's very opinionated for what's too sticky and what's not. So I think that MLB bringing in more of the data that is readily available to them like spin rate data it, it makes it so much more clear and it will be less objective we do not condone trevor bauer's actions i doesn't spin rates doesn't it um vary from start to start like quite a bit would it be tough to have like an objective like because i feel like a lot of the stuff that guys will look at when they're trying to evaluate pitchers that have improved their stuff is like 
this guy's spin rate is way up. This person is changing something with their mechanics, making their spin rates go up. And from start to start, how regulated or not regulated, how regular is that? Like how much will it vary? What's the standard deviation of a spin rate from start to start? I wonder. I really don't think it would it's that much from start to start. Maybe <laughs> if it's like a whole new pitch causing the the new spin rate, it would differ. But I mean, you can look at the numbers whenever they first brought in the sticky substance ban and the guys that were using spider tech had just a clear drop in their next start where it was down like a substantial amount. It wasn't just like 100 or 200. It was like that 500 to 600 range on each pitch. So it would be like a clear jump where it's like, hey, maybe check this guy out. Like I'm not saying the spin rate is what would be what would say, hey, you got to go. Your spin rate's up 400 to start. It would be more of, hey, check on this guy. His spin rates are up a lot. And then let's do some sticky substance checks then. Really look at his glove, see if he's going to his hair or the belt or whatever. And then so you know you're not just ejecting some guy with normal spin rates and it's just the, the rosin and sweat is a little more sticky in this umpire's opinion. Yeah, I like that. So rather than checking them after literally every single inning, just having it be like a trigger system where if it's up a certain amount or if a pitch is looking a little bit suspect in terms of spin rates, they'll do a little check. I could see that being a good system, but then you worry if somebody comes up and is just using the illegal stuff the whole time and their spin rates are just constantly up and they don't vary. I don't know. It's interesting. And the I think they're still kind of in the early aspect of this sticky substance ban. And I think they'll end up settling on something that ends up making a little bit more sense than where they're at right now. Um, going from sticky substances to a little bit of pitching confusion, at least from my perspective, I think pitching this year has been more confusing to me than it ever has been. It's, I don't understand it. There's pitchers like Chris Sale who will go seven innings and strike out 11 guys and then the next week he'll have two swinging strikes. He struck out 11 guys and in his next start, he had two swinging strikes. I do not understand that at all. Um, there was a little bit of speculation that maybe just the Orioles have his number or maybe the Orioles like know that he's tipping a pitcher some way, but I don't understand how you go from striking out 11 people to two swinging strikes. And then Sonny Gray is another guy. I can never get a good read on Sonny Gray. There have been multiple times when I've thought he's, you know, top tier ace type pitcher. And then sometimes he looks like he's completely lost. I feel like over the course of his whole career, Sonny Gray has just confused me. Um, but also like Alex Cobb just pitched a complete game against us the other day and his underlying numbers looked terrible. And Alex Cobb, I feel like has always been a guy, at least personally, I've always liked Alex Cobb a lot in like a, you know, by, by low type situation. Cause his underlying numbers have always looked good. His swinging strike rate, um, hard contact rate, like all that is usually good, but his numbers are usually bad. And then in the one start where he's not getting guys to swing and miss, and he has so many balls in play yesterday, and it's like one of the best starts of his career. 
I just have been very confused by pitching this year specifically. There are so few pitchers that have been consistent every time they've gone out. It's Castillo, Garrett Cole, Shohei Otani. I can't really think of another one off the top of my head. I don't understand why pitching has been so inconsistent this year. Is it just a small sample size and I'm just overreacting? Or what, what exactly do we think about pitching? Do we think that the new rule changes, like with the shift, do we think it's really changed the pitching environment this much? Uh, yeah, Nick, you left out uh, Justin Steele there when talking about consistency. Actually, I did. I was actually I thought about Justin Steele. I would have said Marcus Stroman too, if not for his most recent start. Justin yeah, Steele has been very good. I think you're. It, it is a small sample size, um, so I don't really have too many overreactions. It's what been like four or five starts for most guys. But I think yeah, what surprised me is guys like Marcus Stroman with the shift ban. I think that there was this assumption that like ground ball pitchers like Logan Webb and Marcus Stroman, those kind of guys who pitch to contact, were going to be really hurt by the shift ban. I haven't seen that a lot this early in the season. Um, obviously, Logan Webb's been getting a little more Ks, has had more Ks this year than um, in years past. But I, I think that that's my big overreaction, I guess, is that I thought that pitchers that were pitched to contact, like the Cardinals have, which are is terrible, but – I thought that those guys would be really, really effective, but I haven't really seen that yet. And the prime example is Marcus Stroman. Um, and he could just be on a hot stretch and it could normalize over the next few starts. But um, I, I don't know. I think the, the elite guys are still elite. Shoei, like you said, DeGrom has looked really good. Spencer Strider is probably the best pitcher in baseball besides Garrett Cole. Um, those big K guys, the Ks are going to stick around no matter what. So I think it might be a bit of an overreaction this early on. I did forget Spencer Strider. I don't know if you watched his start the other night. The perfect into seven, I think, and then the error in the seventh, and then he gave up a couple hits in the eighth. That was a very yeah. fun start to watch. Spencer Strider is almost must-watch TV. Every single time Spencer Strider pitches, you want to be there watching that game. Vance. Yeah, Chipper. Chip oh, go ahead, Vance. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was just going to say my theory behind all of the inconsistent starts and really just overall not that great numbers is we all know they used to have the juice ball that was just and when the affected, affected it less, which so has traveled farther. And then they have the more dead balls. So that's the opposite case. So I think uh, they just put these new rules that they have in place and more eyes on the game. They wanted to have more success where it's like, look, offense is up. So they have more of the juice balls in play because last April when they had those dead balls, offense was just completely dead. So with the more eyes on the game, they want more balls in play, more balls doing damage and be like, hey, look, offense is up. These rules work. Baseball's more exciting. And then as the year goes on, we'll see more of a return to the normal uh, normal baseballs, more of the dead balls with more uh, offense that we can see, less less home runs, more singles, balls in play, more more steals and whatnot. That's my theory. Just really makes sense to me from a marketing stance for MLB, more eyes on the game. We can't have these rules fail and just the ball not be 
traveling whatsoever. I'm wondering if the, the pitch clock might not also have something to do with it. I mean, in the past, if you don't have your best stuff, you're struggling, you could step off the mound, give yourself a 45 second breather, you know, try to, you know, figure stuff out in your head. But now you really don't have the opportunity to do that ever. Um, I'm wondering if just having to get back up there every single time, 20 seconds after you give, an, give up a nuke, I'm wondering, you know, how that might be affecting guys. Because I've seen something similar in Nick Lodolo where seven innings, 12 Ks, and then the next start he gives up 12 hits. I mean, it's definitely been interesting. Yeah, I like that perspective a lot, actually. I never really thought about the pitch clock, you know, impacts on a bad start going much worse. You know, Mar Martin Maldonado, they had on last Sunday Night Baseball, they were talking to him, and he's like, yeah, 15 seconds is just too quick. Like, to get the ball back and have to throw another pitch in 15 seconds, that's awfully quick, especially when you don't have everything there. So maybe it's exacerbating, you know, a bad start into – much worse because guys aren't having chances to like collect themselves on the mound, you know, and kind of regroup. So I actually, I like that take quite a bit. I don't know if that is truly impacting. I'd be curious, like Martin Maldonado, the catcher who's sitting back there is saying that it's too quick. I, I wonder, you know, what, what pitchers would say. There was a cool interview. I think that interviewing the players in the dugout is so cool. There was, I was watching, I don't remember which game it was or who the Blue Jays were playing, but they're interviewing Gosman. And he's, he seems like kind of a goofy guy, honestly. And they were asking him, he just pitched seven innings with 11 Ks the other night. And he's like, yeah, I didn't really have my stuff. And he's like, I was trying to like put balls up in the zone and down in the zone. And he's like, it wasn't really going where I wanted it to go. And he's like, it's crazy. Sometimes those, those are the games that work out for you. He gave up like three hits in seven innings and struck out 11 guys. So I don't know. It's, it's, it, it's interesting. Pitching has definitely been a ride this year. Uh, our next, how, go ahead. How whiny pitchers are. <laughs> All of this is just oh, pitchers, pitchers. There, I don't think that there's been a drastic shift in runs scored, and all the talk is about oh, the sticky stuff, man. Oh, pitchers, this, pitchers, that. I think it's fine. The batters are dealing with it too. Yeah, I think like taking a pitch and then having to see another pitch in 15 seconds is a lot different than delivering a 99 mile hour pitch than having to do it again 15 seconds later. All right, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I do agree. I mean, I guess the the overall bell curve of whiny pitchers has pretty recently been shifted towards less whiny now that uh, Mad Bum has been DFA'd. Mm. So Cardinals broke Mad Bum. Wilson yeah. Contreras broke Mad Bum. Yeah, Wilson Contreras <laughs> bat flipped a walk on Mad Bum and then he got DFA'd the next day. Ended his career. Ended his career. Uh, I saw a lot of Cardinals Twitter talking about how we were going to get Mad Bum. I was like, there's no way. There's no way. Um, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> so we've got it right in with our <laughs> with Stephen Matz. I like Stephen Matz. Don't get me wrong. I, I think he's getting swinging strikes. He's getting hit kind of hard, but I think his swinging strikes are there. I think he honestly doesn't look that bad. And Jack Flaherty, I saw this stat that he's 
gone like 30 starts in a row, giving up six or fewer hits, which is the longest streak in Cardinals history. Granted, some of those starts, he had like seven walks, but six or fewer hits and 30 straight. Pretty impressive. I, I, I'm encouraged with them. All right, next next uh, next segment we got is, it's called Beat the Waiver Wire. I stole this directly from the CBS Fantasy Podcast. Um, beat the Waiver Wire. So basically we're looking for guys in a fantasy league who are like slim to not even owned at all. So like I'd say probably below like 25%, below 30%. Um, that we think are going to, you know, turn it up and have a good season. So you're grabbing them now before they're getting hot. Um, and you think that they could, I mean, I think some of these guys could be maybe even league winners. I think a lot of them have a chance to be really good. The one that I went with is Jaron Duran. Do I think he's a league winner? Probably not. But Jaron Duran has always just hit balls into the ground and has never really put it all together. He's always been fast, and that's always been his thing. He's a fast guy. Um, but he doesn't barrel balls, or didn't barrel balls at least. Granted, it's been a small plate appearance. He's had 18 batted balls here in 2023. Um, but his exit velocity is up. His launch angle, he has doubled. His launch angle before was like 7.5, and, and it's now up over 12. So that is very impressive. His sweep spot percentage is way up. He's just hitting balls like they should be hit a lot more. Um, and his max exit velocity is in the 85th percentile. He's always hit the ball hard. Not quite this hard, but he's always hit it hard. It's just always been into the ground. And his sprint speed, he's still up over the 70th percentile, 73rd percentile. And I think that'll, um, that'll get better. I think he's always been up towards like 80, 85, 90% sprint speed. So he hits the ball really hard, runs really fast. I think specifically in fantasy, I think Jaron Duran could be a huge impact player. And he's basically not owned at all right now. Um, and I think the Red Sox are kind of grasping at straws wherever they can find offense right now, since they lost Adam Duvall, pretty much the only light of their entire team for the first week and a half, two weeks. Um, I think Jaron Duran's got a really, a really good chance to do that. He also has a sick um, tattoo sleeve on his left arm, which I really like. So that is also a plus in his favor. Uh, ben, you have anybody that you think we should uh, be trying to beat the waiver wire and grab up? Yeah, so I'll start with, um, for any longtime listeners that remember, this guy was my rookie of the year pick a couple pods ago. Uh, Brandon Fott for the Arizona Diamondbacks, you know, with Madison Bumgarner getting cut, um, them sending Dre Jamison down. It looks like the uh, the call-up for him is just inevitable. Uh, he had a rough start, but he's been fantastic since. Um, led the minor leagues in Ks last year with 220. He was the first guy in 20 years to have 200 Ks in a minor league season. I mean, he's just real nasty. He's got three-plus pitches, good fastball with high spin rates, and it has that kind of funky spin on it that um, scouts are starting to look for, that cut-carry spin that Justin Steele's fastball has. So that's um, – you got to love that. He's got one of the best sliders in the minor leagues, high spin rate, and it has a huge horizontal break, which is another thing that has become super popular these days. Uh, and he's got a real solid changeup as well. So – you know, I like Brandon Fott. Um, I think he's also less than 5% owned, and he's probably going to get the call here pretty soon. Going to be a lot of Ks and a lot of quality starts, in my opinion. Also, he's one of the few rookies you're ever going to see who's not going to have an innings cap as he threw very nearly 170 innings between double and triple A last year. So he could be a type of guy who's an immediate number two starter 
you know, top 120 value that you can grab off the waiver wire. I think that last point that you made is absolutely huge. Like with all these guys that have been coming up recently that everybody's grabbing Taj Bradley, Mason Miller, Drew Jamison, that all their stuff is good. Don't get me wrong, but all of them are going to have innings caps and all of them are going to be either like serving phantom IL stints or getting put in the bullpen for a little bit or, you know, getting shut down before the end of the year. All of them kind of have that and like they're valuable in fantasy. Don't get me wrong. And one of the ones that I put down is Taj Bradley because I think he's great. He did get sent down to AAA today, and I think people are going to maybe drop him. The Rays need it. I don't know. They're not going to start Josh Fleming for an extended period of time and think that they're going to win a lot of games that way. I think Taj Bradley is too good to keep out of that rotation. And with all of the long-term injuries they have, I guess Glass now is coming back as well. But I think that Taj Bradley will be a long-term plan for the Rays. But I, he, he's going to have that innings limit. He's going to have that potential shutdown in the future. Whereas I really do like that about Brandon Fott that he doesn't have that forthcoming. So I think that's a really good point about Brandon Fott and he could be very valuable. Brock, you got anybody that we should be uh, trying to beat the waiver wire? Yeah, I got two guys. Brandon Fott is Ben's guy. So that was a great little talking point there. Um, I We may have talked about Kubrian Hayes already um, in previous pods, but I think that he might be breaking out a little bit. He's always had some uh, nice little exit velos. He's got great plate approach, um, like 98th percentile, um, an ounce above average, whiff percentage, um, K percentage, always hit the ball really, really hard. Um, the Pirates are finally scoring runs. I think the Pirates are Nick's team. Um, in our little group chat, he's been hyping them up every single game they win. Um, are, they, are they for real every single night? Are they for real? Um, they might be. So Key Brian Hayes is a big part of that. Um, he's been hitting really, really well. Um, so Key Brian Hayes, third base is pretty shallow. Um, so worth a snag if he's available. And then I had to just throw Brandon Drury on here because right before we started the pod, I picked him up for positional eligibility. He's got first base, second base. Let me actually just go to ESPN really, really quick and see what else he's got. He has first base, third base, second base, and DH. Um, his bat's starting to come alive. Last night he hit two home runs against the A's, so context there. But um, he is batting like five hole in the Angels lineup, so you got to like that. Um, for me, it's just positional eligibility. But I feel like a lot of people probably gave up on him because he started a little slow. But last year he was one of the most improved batters. Um, and, I again, mostly positional eligibility, but – so those are probably the two big ones right now. Um, the reason I wanted to plug Brandon Drury is right when I added him, I got a FaceTime from our good buddy Kyle Anderson. Um, couldn't answer because we were hopping on the pod, but then he texted me. He had Brandon Drury in his queue and kept trying to click add, and it wouldn't go through, and he backed out and saw that I added him. So he's hot on the wire right now. <laughs> I love the Brian Hayes talk on this pod. I will always before any talk uh, pumping up the Pirates right now. I think that being like a general baseball fan is really interesting because obviously I'm a huge Cardinals fan and I love the Cardinals. And as a Cardinals fan, I should hypothetically be rooting against the Pirates. But as a baseball fan, I love that they're playing well. I love every bit of it. I love every win. I was watching, they were playing the Dodgers today. I was watching till the last minute. They lost by one to the Dodgers. Andrew McCutcheon hitting homers is so fun to watch on the Pirates. It's all great. 
And it just, it feels a little bit weird because I know like deep down as a Cardinals fan, I should be rooting against them, but I can't root against this Pirates team. They're so fun. Before the season, I did predict that Cabrian Hayes would have more home runs and steals than O'Neill Cruz. It's looking like that's going to happen. Not necessarily for the reason that I thought it's going to happen. Um, I, 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 Cabrian Hayes is my guy. I've been trying to trade for Cabrian Hayes in Dynasty for a long time. The person that has Cabrian Hayes is my brother, and he really wants Lars Newpar. And I don't know if I can give up Lars Newpar for Cabrian Hayes, but I really like Cabrian Hayes. Brock, you got something? Yeah. A uh, quick plug on the Pirates on their little come up. Uh, if anyone had followed the offseason, Brian Reynolds really wanted out of Pittsburgh. Um, like blatant, like very open that I want out of Pittsburgh, get me out of here. Not what we're like a month into the season, and he just had an eight year one franchise setting franchise record eight year 107 million um contract. So, he if he quickly bought in after being so adamantly, get me out of here, I think there's some uh, there's some truth behind what you're preaching there, Nick. <laughs> they have a I'm home run sword, they have a home run sword. Sorry, Ben, go ahead. That contract's an absolute huge discount too i mean brian reynolds is a great hitter eight years 100 million is absolutely nothing i mean he's a far better hitter than ian happ and ian happ just got 20 mil a year i mean that is such a nice contract for the pirates and it really gives them a great hitter locked up for the next eight seasons with a good farm system and what appears to be a way better rotation than we thought yeah, I thought the same thing when I saw that contract. I was like, Brian Reynolds is worth more than this. So I don't, I don't know if he's just buying into the to the Pittsburgh hype right now. Um, but I, I don't know. I, am, I've I've been enjoying watching some Pirates baseball this year for sure. Brock, what do you got? Um, part of the Pirates' success, I think, is been a former Cardinal Johan Oviedo's success. Um, we trade. We got him in the Jose Quintana deal last year. He was kind of like a long relief six man in our rotation. He has a two 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 ERA. He did get a little roughed up tonight against the Dodgers, but his twenty five Ks through I think five starts. So I don't know where he's been really really good and kind of bolstered the back end of the rotation. I hate to see a former Cardinal uh, thrive on a division rival, but Mansell. Oh yeah, uh, I'll go ahead and go for for my uh, beat the waiver wire guy. But first I'll talk about a so key Brian Hayes, I guess if we're, we're chatting about him, uh, he cut his, so far through this year, his strikeout percent has gone from 21.8 to 10.4%. So that's pretty incredible. Uh, his launch angle has gone up from, where did it go? Uh, it was like, here it is, 5.2 last year to up to 13.6. That was always kind of a big thing for him. He just wasn't hitting the ball in the air. But, however, none of that matters because he has no pull side. He's only pulling the ball 19% of the time. So he still won't hit for power. For your fancy relevancy, do not trade for him. Uh, he's hitting the ball the opposite field 38% of the time. He doesn't have that kind of power to go. Let me Let me play devil's advocate here. Yeah. You do not want to pull the ball in PNC. They have the deepest left field, I believe, of any MLB park. So who knows? Maybe him hitting to, to the right side, if he can just elevate a little more, could actually be to his benefit, given his home ballpark is like 360 down the left field line. Are you trying to tell me Jeff, Jeff Albert's hitting philosophy is wrong? We only pull power. 
on the St. Louis Cardinals. Ben's muted, but he's shaking his head. <laughs> I mean, we try to pull power. I don't know if you've uh, – Goldschmidt and Arenado only have two home runs each this year. I don't know how discouraging that is for you, but I'm a little bit discouraged by each of those numbers. They ran Jeff Albert out of town. Yeah. yeah. All right. The next topic we've got – is, oh, uh, so we're just anybody... moving past uh, my beat the waiver wire pick. Oh yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it, Bensel. Yeah, all your pirates talk. Uh, so my pick is Alec Thomas. Uh, I'll bring some actual numbers. Where his, if you look at his baseball savant page, it's just filled with red. He is. Let me get this key, Brian Hayes, off my screen. His average exit velocity is in the eighth. 80th percentile hard hit percentage in the 83rd. His expected batting average is in the 82nd. He hasn't really been striking out a lot. He's fast, so he can he'll be able to get some steals in an offense that wants to run and an up-and-coming offense. So there'll be people on base. Uh, if he, he, he right now is only batting 194. However, his expected batting average is 283 with an expected slug of 469. So he is hitting the ball very hard. He's just getting unlucky right now. Uh, I imagine that if he keeps up or if he starts to perform more to his expected stats, he'll move up in that order too, putting him in more run and RBI situ situations. They also sent Jake McCarthy to AAA. I believe he's on the Diamondbacks, right, which just means more playing time for him. So he is looking like a good ad right now in ESPN. He is – rostered in 1.6% of the leagues. So I imagine he will be available in every every league if you are in a fantasy league. Yeah, I was just about to say that Jake McCarthy demotion, I think, bodes really well for Alec Thomas. And I agree with everything you said. His numbers look – I mean, his outward numbers look really bad, but his baseball savant page is amazing. And I think he's he's got a real good chance to break out. Pretty sure he also had a very good uh, WBC tournament. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great uh, beat the waiver wire pick, Fancel. I'm glad that we uh, stuck with you for it. We <laughs> Moving. Ben, do you have another beat the waiver wire pick? No, absolutely not. I just I just wanted to make fun of Ansel. Oh, okay. No, but really, um, Alec Thomas' glove will get him every day at bats. Yeah, Alec Thomas is exciting right now. Also, He's, if there was ever ever a guy who shouldn't have been going top 100 in fantasy drafts, it's Jake McCarthy. Yeah, I mean, Draft Jake McCarthy, he's fast. He's very fast. And, and he can hit the ball hard. I, I, I guess I see, I see the appeal for Jake McCarthy. Um, the next uh, topic that I kind of had laid out for us is announcer questions. So, like, broadcasters, um, I'm curious – how much the broadcaster experience impacts your viewing experience coming from a Cardinals fan that watches a lot of Cardinals games. We've got a new broadcaster this year, Chip, Chip Carey. Um, he's great. I'm a big fan of him. Um, I think that he does a lot of good stuff. I, I think that I personally, like there are some broadcasts that I have to almost watch on mute. Like if A-Rod is ever on the call or like, the thing that I think that bugs me most about broadcasters are when they're former players and all they talk about 
is about how much the game was better when they played or something along those lines. Like that always really bugs me when I'm listening to a broadcast or something like when A-Rod is always talking about like, oh, we need to bunt and steal and like do all this stuff. Like, I don't know. He just says a lot of stuff that is very much like stuck in old baseball. And I think he denies a lot of the stuff that people have like pretty much fully found out are better to be doing than bunting guys over and stuff like that. So that I think is what bugs my experience the most is when I have to listen to somebody like that. A lot of former players are great. Don't get me wrong. Like Tony Romo, for example, I really love listening to Tony Romo cast. It's players that love the current game and players that really appreciate what other guys are doing. And I think Romo is so good at that. He's so good at appreciating greatness on the field right now. And he's never like back when I played, you know, I did this or back when I played, I would have made this throw or I would have done this. He just loves great quarterbacks. Like when you listen to him call a Patrick Mahomes game, I think it's amazing. He just talks about how great Patrick Mahomes is and really like dissects the little things that he's doing that you wouldn't necessarily always see. And I really like that perspective. Like when they just love the game and they love watching him, you can tell that Romo just loves watching Mahomes play. And I really appreciate that. So I think that that all positively impacts my viewer experience quite a bit. The thing that gets me the most is when former players are kind of jumping on it. Brock, you got something? I think that's pretty much all I've got on the broadcasting talk. Yeah, you are 100% correct about Tony Romo's uh, love for Patrick Mahomes. Absolutely love listening to him just gush and ooze over the greatness that is Patrick Mahomes. Um, But as far as uh, listening to the announcers goes, there are definitely some that or better than others. Um, but I uh, personally just watch MLB Big Inning. Um, so they kind of cut in and out. Um, so I'm not really getting the full uh, the full picture of how they, you know, call the game and feel the, uh, the, the dead air. Um, but I think this is a perfect time to get an update on how uh, Mr. Brendan Vansell feels about Big Inning a week after uh, experiencing what is red zone baseball. Yeah, so uh, I've – not a, never been a big inning guy prior to this. What I typically do is I have one game that I have on my, my actual TV in my room. If the Cardinals are on, it will be that because it has to be through Valley Sports. And then I'll have my laptop with another four games on it. So at max, I can only be watching five games coverage. Maybe I'll have one game that I'll pivot to watch fancy players if they're up to bat. So I decided to give the big inning a try because Brock really uh, endorsed it, and I did not like it. Uh, Can you you just tell us what big inning is? Yeah, so basically they follow it around. uh, They'll they'll follow around baseball games, and then just whenever there's a couple runners on and there's some scoring opportunities, they'll show that. They'll show highlights from earlier in the day, uh, maybe – and then I guess highlights that happen during some of those games that they missed. I was not really a fan of it because they also really only follow like four games max at a time. And I had to have it on my big TV too. Couldn't really see it from my bed. That's an issue. But really, I just didn't like not having the control of it all because it was also just so like behind. I would get an alert on ESPN. Let's say one of my fancy players hit a home run. I would get the alert that they hit a home run and then it would go to that game. 
versus typically when I'm picking baseball games to watch, I usually prioritize my fantasy players so that I can watch them perform. Uh, so I really did not like that aspect of it. And I will probably not watch it again. It also cut off pretty early into the games. Like it just randomly stopped and then it was like, here's some minor league baseball coverage. So it just stopped when the heat of the games were on one of the times when I was watching. So I did not really enjoy that part. That's terribly heartbreaking to hear. Um, but my only, uh, my only, I guess, piece is that uh, you might need a bigger TV if you're having trouble seeing it from your bed. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just whenever they had the four games up. Like, if it's one game, it's perfectly fine. Two games really isn't a problem. When they had the four up, I was like, I can't really see, like, the pitch count or, like, if the batter was one for two or is that one for three kind of thing, the small details. That's fair. I think that uh, my only qualm with it is that it does shut off. I think it's 1030 Eastern – or, sorry, 1030 Central – so it really cuts off like half of those West Coast games, which that is a bit frustrating. So you don't get the beginning of – it starts at like 7.30. So you don't get the beginning of the East Coast games and you don't get the end of the West Coast games, um, which is good for me because the Cardinals, when they play at home, I'll usually get to get to watch them. But that I think I may have prefaced it at the very beginning, but it's the only way that I can watch the Cardinals without using a VPN, which I can't on my TV or haven't figured out how to do that yet. Um it's my only chance of getting glimpses at Cardinals at bats, which lately hasn't been very much screen time because we're not scoring any runs. Can we get a uh, tech guy in the audience to uh, DM Brock and tell him how to VPN and get the Cardinals games, please? You have to jailbreak your Roku. Yeah. Can you deal? Can you DM Truman State as well? <laughs> yes. Also, DM Truman State and tell them how to get their systems back up and running. All right. I have two quick uh, announcer questions to ask you all before we go to Vansel. Vansel prepared a couple of segments for us today. I had finals all week and I've been studying. I had a final this morning and Vansel was very kind and offered to prepare us a couple things so that I did not have to. So I appreciate that. Um, but first, a couple of quick announcer questions. So we'll start with Ben here. Ben, how would you describe the term batting around? Like if you're an announcer, when are you using the term batting around? Well, it's, uh, you know, it's when whoever let off your inning is hitting again in that same inning, correct? Okay, so that, you think it's the 10th batter as opposed to the ninth batter? Yeah, I don't think the ninth batter counts. I think the 10th has to at least get up. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. Uh, one of my good friends from high school, um, he edits a paper and it's like a newspaper and it's his job to kind of, you know, know usage of terms and stuff. And he went and reviewed a lot of games from last year where teams batted around and was looking at the usage. He said it's, I think it was like 25% or something of people using the term batting around were using it when the ninth batter came up. Like 25% of broadcasters were using batting around during the ninth. And I think the, the whole around part is talking about like you're coming back around to the person that you started with. So I think that batting around should be on the 10th batter as opposed to the ninth batter. Vance, what do you got? Yeah, I agree that it's the 10th batter, not the ninth batter. I look at it as connect the dots. If the connect the dots was a full circle, you know, at nine, you don't connect them. So it's not a full round, you know, you got to have that 10th dot there. 
so that you connect it and it's a full round. I agree. It sounds like we've got a consensus on this podcast that batting around is when you've got at least 10 people. Brock actually disagrees. No, I, I, well, I would love to take the devil's advocate stance here, but it, it, it is around means you start and then you come all the way back around to that same person. Yeah. Brock no, texted me that he actually thinks it's the ninth, but he's too embarrassed. You're right. I, I, I wanted to say ninth, but I was outnumbered. I didn't want to embarrass myself once again on this podcast. So. Um, so the next quick announcer question that I've got is heart of the order. So when, like when you've got three batters coming up in the next inning and the announcer says that the heart of the order is up, I, I imagine it's probably a ranger. It's not just like three positions you have in mind, but like, where is your, you know, threshold for saying heart of the order is up? Ben, go ahead. So, um, Tip, I think it's kind of changed over the years, to be honest, with the new way people um, construct their lineups. A lot of people put their best hitter in the two-hole now. Previously, maybe three, four years ago, I would have said three through six. Usually you'd have you know some pretty big RBI guys in the five-six spot. But now with the way people are constructing their lineups, putting their better hitters earlier, I'd probably go two through five is, uh, is, is my definition of heart of the order. Yeah, I agree. The reason why I bring it up is because Chip Carey on the Cardinals broadcast said that we had the heart of the order coming up and it was four, five, six. And I was like, I don't know, Chip, maybe like in 1980, that's the heart of the order. But I don't think four, five, six is the heart of the order nowadays. I, I, I agree with you 100%. Teams are moving their better hitters up in the order. And I think that heart of the order refers to if you're starting with two or three, I think if you're going two, three, four, you can say heart of the order is up. Or if you have three, four, five, you can say heart of the order is up. But I think four, five, six is pushing it. Vansel? Yeah, I have an issue with Ben's answer because you asked for there are three batters coming up. What's the heart of the order? He gave four batters. So just, you know, listen to the question next time, guy. Good thing Truman's been hacked, so you don't have to do classes. Um, I'm pretty sure he didn't. He said there was actually not a specific number needed. So I got you there. Three batters at one point. He said three batters are coming up. Anyways, uh, heart of the order is really probably, I would say, seven, eight, nine guys. You know, they're the grinders. Nothing's handed to them. They're really the heart of the team because they'll show that work ethic. You know, uh, those three hole hitters. Like, let's say McGuire, they don't make good coaches because it just comes so naturally to them. They don't have that heart, you know. So, seven, eight, nine for me, they really show that true spirit and the desire to be there. Couldn't agree more. They definitely have got heart. All right, Vansel, we're on to you. It is your turn to take over the podcast. Yeah, I'll go ahead and. uh, Start with uh, my numbers dive, not the game, since uh, Brock is a little preoccupied right now. Uh, So I decided to take a dive at a pitcher that was good last year, slow start this year. You know, maybe a common thing among some other ones, but I'm looking at Alec Manoa this year. 
Uh, I sent a picture to Nick of some just stats from him last year to this year to see if he could guess it, but Nick could not. Uh, didn't really even give a guess, actually. But so. I asked if he was a Cardinal. I said, no, that's not a guess. That's just, we're not playing 20 questions here. Um, anyways, so I decided to just go ahead, take a look at his baseball savant page. First thing that stuck at, stood out to me was his pitch mix has gone a very big change. Uh, in 2022, he threw his four-seam fastball 35.9% of the time, the slider 27.1, sinker 25.8, changeup 11.2. This year, his fastball is down to 28.6. His slider and sinker and changeup are all up. Slider is 29.4, sinker is 29.2, changeup is 12.7%. And all these numbers are before his start this weekend, I will add. Um, his fastball average velocity in 2022 was 93.9. In 2023, it's 93, so down basically a full mile per hour. So just clearly some of the velocities just aren't there. That's across the board that the velocities are down. In 2022, he was getting barreled up 5.4% of the time. He was getting hard hit 31.5% of the time. He struck out 22.9% of batters, and he walked 6.5% of batters. His ERA was 224. This year, he's getting barreled up 12.5% of the time. His hard hit hit rate is 45.3 and he's only striking out 16.5% of batters and his ERA is up to 6.98 so as I mean just all the numbers kind of look pretty rough to start across the board his movement was down across all his pitches for vertical and horizontal movement so not only is he not throwing the ball as hard it's not moving as much and then another thing that I found really interesting was that his first pitch uh, strike percentage was also way down. Um, and then so he's falling behind headers and then having to throw just either pitches that he's hoping to get chases on, when it, but his chase rate is down because nothing's really moving as much. It's not coming in as fast or he has to leave it out over the plate and then same reason. So it's getting hit harder. Uh, while well, uh, looking at his run values per 100 pitches by pitch type. In 2022, his four seam had a negative 1.8 uh, run value per 100 pitches, which was really good. In 2023, it was negative 3.2. So it's actually doing better. Wait, that might have been plus 3.2. I like it was plus 3.2. His slider is went from negative 0.8 to 6.6. And that's the trend for all of it. So it's just getting hit harder all around. My theory was what I said. He's falling behind hitters. He doesn't have as good of stuff. And so when he had to put it in the zone, he was getting hit harder. And then he really just didn't have the control. I went back and watched his start against the Blue Jays, and that ended up being the case on the broadcast. They were talking a lot about a mechanical issue. And then on Saturday, when he pitched against the Yankees, most of his numbers ended up starting to trend the right direction, 
of cross his velocity was up his movement was up uh his his uh his zone percentage was actually still down so i think he's starting to return to form but yet he still is just dealing with some some location and control issues across the board so i just thought that was very interesting on what really makes a difference from one pitcher just jumping up over four earned runs just kind of really diving into it hope you found yeah, it interesting i i think I was watching the broadcast. I'm pretty um, invested in Manoa. I have him in two leagues this year, so I've been kind of watching a little bit. Um, and I was watching his most recent game against the Yankees, and I was just about to ask if a lot of those numbers have been changing since, I mean, he looked really good in that start. And the broadcaster, I was watching the Blue Jays broadcast because I like watching the broadcast of the guy that I have because usually they have some pretty good insights like talking about him. And they talked about the first pitch strike percentage quite a bit. And they were saying that that was kind of impacting his game a lot. And having gotten that, I guess he was throwing more first pitch strikes against the Yankees. And it just makes his other stuff work so much better later in the count when he's ahead in the counts. So I think hopefully it was just a little bit of a blip on the radar. I saw a Twitter poll. I sent this in our group. It was um, Alec Manoa versus Taj Bradley, I think. Was that the poll that I told you guys all about? Yeah, it was Alec Manoa versus yeah. Taj Bradley. And like 56% of people said that they would rather have Taj Bradley rest of the season. Guess what? He just got demoted and Alec Manoa just went seven scoreless innings on the Yankees or seven one-run innings, I can't remember. Um, just, I, I think Alec Manoa should probably, hopefully be fine. Go ahead, Mansell. Uh, for that Taj Bradley thing, I forgot to mention this. He got sunk down so they, they could get him on a pitching every five-day schedule instead of a every six-day schedule that he's on now. Yeah, what does that even mean? Like, just throw him every five days then. Service time manipulation is what that means. Um, but also, Vance, I'd love to hear that segment. I am proud to have Alec Manoa on my dynasty team. I'm obviously very concerned. I said him this week when he went seven shutout against the Yankees. Um, but a part of that is just, like, from the pitcher's perspective, like, his – Arsenal is sinker, four seam, slider, um, which he like his slider is like his highest usage pitch, which is a little bit unique. Um, but for a sinker baller like that, you're exactly right. If you fall behind in the count, it's so hard to work back because to get guys out with like strikeouts, because with the sinker, you are kind of pitching to contact a lot. Um, you're just hoping guys roll over and you, you get ground balls. He always kind of outperformed his underlying numbers. I say always in like two years that he's been in the league. Um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that segment as a, as a guy who has Alec Manoa on the squad. That's uh, pretty encouraging. I would say. Yeah. I think he should be in good shape before we uh, jump into Vancel's game. I think Ben is, um, got a skewed a little bit here early, but he had some minor leaguers he wanted to talk about. Uh, absolutely. I wanted to, uh, you know, bring up a few guys who are off to scorching hot starts and might not be, you know, super known to, uh, you know, players maybe in dynasty leagues. I'm going to start with Matt McLean, former uh, Reds first rounder. Um, he's a guy who was actually drafted in the first round twice, first round out of high school and first round out of college, played at UCLA. Really good player, but was more of a contact guy before he got to the MLB. Uh, former top 100 prospect, but he's dropped out because his K rates were a little concerning. But he's gotten off to an absolutely scorching hot start. He actually just hit his like 
sixth home run of the season, I believe, about an hour ago while we started recording. Um, he's, I think, pretty underrated. And, you know, just because he's whiffing a little bit more than people thought, I don't think that's necessarily a concern because he's shown a lot of power, too. Uh, he's going to get a play in great, Amer- great American, and he's also a guy who's probably going to have sprint speeds in the 85th to 90th percentile. So could be a, a five-category contributor who will be up for the Reds probably within the next two to three weeks. Uh, after that, I'll go to a Kansas City Royals prospect, another first-rounder out of the same draft, uh, Frank Mazzucato. Uh, he was a high school pitcher out of New Hampshire, I believe. Um, he shot up boards after throwing back-to-back no-hitters in high school, but really kind of flopped in his pro debut last year, really struggled with control. But through 15 innings this year, he has 26 Ks, has only allowed nine hits, and has really cut the walks down. I believe he only has five. Uh, so he's looked really good. He's got an absolute hammer of a curveball, uh, one of those fastballs that doesn't come in with a lot of velo but has high spin and a lot of induced vertical break. So he's a guy you could be looking at for the Kansas City Royals to start shooting up their system uh, pretty quick. Um, any of you guys have any minor leaguers you'd like to talk about? Yeah, I've got a two on here. One like really deep sleeper that probably may not really make the MLB roster, but he's had an interesting start. I mean, his name is Victor Scott the second, and he was a uh, fifth rounder out of West Virginia for the Cardinals. Uh, he is uh, the prime joy of Atlanta, Georgia, so another Georgia boy. But he uh, he's in high for the Cardinals right now, and he actually has 16 stolen bases and 64 at-bats, which I did not do that calculation, but he's on pace for a lot of stolen bases. Um, he also has like a 730 OPS, which isn't great and high for a 22-year-old, but those stolen bases are interesting um, as far as a fantasy perspective goes. Um, I don't know if he can sustain this. Um, I wish we had StatCast data on minor leaguers. That would be phenomenal if we could see his sprint speeds but he's on kind of a toward pace right now so that's cool as a little cardinals plug for a high a guy and then i've got uh one harrison ford aka harry ford who was the first rounder also a georgia boy for the uh, seattle mariners he is a catcher um, a big power speed guy um, some people may remember him because he played on great britain's team for the world baseball classic um, he has an 897 OPS to start the season. I should probably know what where he's at. Let me see if Ben can plug. Is he high A, I believe. Yeah, I didn't know if he's in low or high. Um, but he was the first round, 12th overall pick in 2021 out of Kennesaw, Georgia. You gotta love the uh the pipeline that Georgia baseball has become. Um, but he has, yeah, an 897 OPS, 15 walks to 10 strikeouts. Um so that's a great, great plate approach early on in the season. I would imagine that him being exposed to all the personalities and all those major leaguers that were in the WBC probably played a big role in um, kind of his development. And I believe that he is the number one prospect for the Seattle Mariners, and he's off to a really great start. So a power speed guy at catcher is uh, very, very enticing. So I'm really happy to see, see that out of Harry Ford. Yeah, my guy is Colt Keith um, in the Tigers organization, currently a double A third baseman. Um, he had a really, really good uh, Arizona Fall League in 2022. Walked the same amount that he struck out on base percentage was 463. 
absolutely off the charts. His OPS in double A as a 21 year old right now is 994 and very good. And his, it's really just the strikeout rate. He's cut quite a bit. Um, and his power, his power is starting to come online a little bit. I think that a lot of people kind of questioned his power potential um, prior to, you know, over the last year or two, but he's, he's just really picking up and it's, he just, his bat to ball skills are ridiculous. His batting average is all, he's always going to be a batting average guy. It's always, he's, he's a very impressive player. And I'm excited about Cole Keith. You have any other people you want to talk about, Ben, before you got to get out of here? Uh, yeah, I got to close with at least one cubby. Um, Cade Horton, uh, who is making his uh, pro debut this year. The Cubs kind of held him back. Uh, he's a guy who shot up boards after having an absolutely torrid um, college baseball playoffs. He was not even a top 100 draft prospect prior to um, like regionals. And then after regionals ended up going number nine overall. Um, I absolutely love him. He reminds me a ton of Dylan Cease. He has a high spin fastball an absolutely dirty slider and then a 12, six curve. Um, so, so far through six and a third, real small sample, but still he has 12 K's has allowed three hits and two walks. Uh, his last start, he went four innings, seven K's and had zero hits allowed zero walks. So he's a guy I really love for the Cubbies. Like I said, reminds me a lot of one of the better pitchers in baseball. And uh, I don't think he's very long for uh, Myrtle Beach playing an A-ball right now. I'm guessing he's probably going to get called up within the next couple weeks. Yeah, I've, I've got one last one to talk about. And he's probably going to end up, um, Ben said this earlier, and I, I agree. I think he'll probably be a top five prospect. His name is Evan Carter. Um, he's a Texas Ranger. He's currently in double A. Um, so through 59 plate appearances, he has an 1100 OPS. Um, he has a 13 walk to 11 strikeout um, ratio. Um, that's one thing that I always look for and Ben always looks for as well. That's kind of the telltale sign for good plate approach, which is kind of the one thing that does transition as you go through different levels. If you can sustain a good plate approach, you're probably just a good hitter if you're reading um I'm going to plug in. I'll be the show really quick. This is something Nick has said in the past, but it's true. Your plate approach and your discipline at the plate leads to um, better pitches in the zone late in the count. Um, so if you're not swinging at balls out of the strike zone, you're probably going to get better pitches to hit. And it's probably going to lead to a higher probability of success. Um, but he has three home runs and again, a good K to walk ratio. Um, Evan Carter, I think he's probably a top 25 prospect already, um, but he will probably crack the top five as um, this next crop of uh, prospects starts to graduate and uh, the next crop uh, kind of moves in. But Evan Carter is also on Kyle Anderson's team. So I don't feel bad about adding Brandon Drury in redraft because he has Evan Carter and Evan Carter is going to be a stud for the Rangers for a long time to come. He's got a lot of room to fill out too, six five one ninety. So, I mean, I think he's just getting started with this power potential. He's going to be a five category contributor two years from now easy in that really good Texas lineup. Yeah, I guess that is a little bit of a downside with Cole Keith. Like we we're just talking about strictly, you know, fantasy perspective. I don't think he's going to give you a lot of steals, but I think that that power potential and he's just, he's looked really good and is rising up prospect rankings very quickly. Yeah. And I think it, 
there's got to be some something has to be said about the Tigers clearinghouse um, and their player development. Um, and Colt Keith has been a guy who's really kind of come onto the scene. Um, I don't know if that's totally player development or just a testament to him. Um, but a lot of the drawback in the past with guys like Riley Green, who, who was a top five prospect, was they just didn't trust the Tigers, didn't like the Tigers organization. But with a whole new um, whole new crew in there, I think you may see more excitement with Tigers prospects um, down the road with guys like Wilmer Flores, um, who's a pitcher, and like you said, Cole Keith. So I agree. Cole Keith, is, he's, been, <laughs> he's been hot. Yeah, Chase Young, or Chase Young in that same – organization is exciting as well uh one of the best second base prospects out there um they've got they've got a good young core i think the tigers could be interesting over the next couple years they're like maybe two years behind where the diamondbacks are at could be like kind of a comparison i think they've got some pretty good young players vansel you wanna you wanna play you wanna play a game dun 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 yeah, sure. So, my game for this uh, week, I don't think I actually ended up telling you, Nick, what it was, but I thought it would be interesting to take a uh, look at some of the Cy Young voting and MVP voting on the really close ones. I'll read you their stats. You tell me if player one or player two ended up winning the award, and then we'll see if you can uh, know or vote like a like an MLB awards voter. I'm into it. Yeah, I'm gonna, into it too. Are you going to give us the context of like, this player has won nine straight gold gloves like Nolan Arenado when his stats are way worse than Key Brian Hayes? <laughs> <laughs> no, I will give you, um, for the Cy Youngs, we'll start with the Cy Youngs. And I will give you the, we'll say wins, win-loss record, ERA, whip, innings, and strikeouts. So, player one. Oh, I'm worried. I'm usually – I don't have to worry about doing well in these games. <laughs> yeah, I figured since I was winning all of them, we better switch it up. Um, so, player one, he had an 11-5 and record, pitched 167 innings, had a 2-4-3 ERA, a .94 whip, and struck out 234 batters. Player two pitched 213 innings, had a 14 and 10 record, had a 2.78 ERA and a 1.008 WHIP, and struck out 247 batters. So we'll start with Nick. If you need me to repeat, I can. I'm pretty sure the first one, the 11 and five guy, I'm almost certain that was Jacob Degrom, and I'm pretty sure he won the Cy Young that year. Brock. Your answer? I don't think Nick knows what he's talking about. I'm going to go with player two. <laughs> so this was from the 2021 NL Cy Young race. Uh, the player one was Corbin Burns. Mm. Player two was Zach Wheeler. Corbin Burns won. So Nick was correct. Kind of. Yeah. I mean. There was a year Jacob Drong had 11 wins and one Cy Young, I thought. Uh, mine been less than hey, you're that. On Google, you're just looking it up. Yeah, yeah. This one will be harder for you to Google, Brock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So Nick is up one nothing. I'll give you bonus points if you can uh, if you can name the player that got it. So Nick did not get bonus points. Jacob Degrom won the Cy Young in 2019 and was 11 and eight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good thing I don't have the whatever year that was NL Cy Young Award winner. I said 2008. I meant 2018. Moving on. Let me scroll down. All right. So the next one, this pitcher had a 21 and six record. He threw 223 innings, struck out 300 batters. He had a 2.58 ERA and a 0.803 whip. Player two, he had a 20 and five record. He threw 212 innings, 212.1 innings, struck out 326 batters. He had a 2.5 ERA and a 0.895 whip. So Nick, since you got the last one correct, you will start. Can I ask for a, for a rerun of that? Yes. Player one, his record was 21 and six. He threw 223 innings, struck out 300 batters. His ERA was 2.58. His whip was 0.803. Player two, he had a 20 and five record. He threw 212.1 innings. He had 326 strikeouts with a 2.5 ERA and a 0.895 whip. I think they would give that to player two. I, I don't know the players. Only... I don't know the players. Two, mm. 300, two 300 strikeout guys in the same league in the same year? I'm going to guess one is Garrett Cole, and then the other one would be who was in the AL that year? Was Justin Verlander in the AL? I'm going to go with player, player two. And guess he's Garrett Cole, maybe? You are correct. The player two is Garrett Cole. However, he did not win. Justin Verlander won. Oh, You had both players correct. Damn. But you had the incorrect winner. Which, both of those players on Houston, by the way. I was going to say, I think I'm losing it. Who was Ju- yeah, Justin Verlander? They were both on the same team. Mm-hmm. Which is incredible that that was your one-two punch. Did they win the World Series that year? Or was that the 2019? No. Was that the year they lost the Dodgers? 2019 was when they lost to the Nationals. Oh, wow. Yeah. So neither of you got that one correct. You were close, Brock. Can I get like yeah, half points for getting them both? <laughs> Just choosing uh, wrong. <laughs> I'll ask the judges, but they will. They're pretty strict for these kinds of things. (laughs) All right. The next one. The the first pitcher had a record of 16 and nine. He threw 204 innings pitched with 290 strikeouts. He had a 2.52 ERA and a .902 whip. The second pitcher had a record of 21 and five with only 180.2 innings. 
221 strikeouts and an ERA of 1.89 and a whip of 0.974. So since neither of you got it right, Nikki, you were still up first. I think this would go to player number two. One of these, you've got to put the Porcello Verlander year in here somewhere, right? You would think. Um, could you give me the whips of both? Yes. Like player two. one's whip was 0.902. Player two's whip was 0.974. That's not Blake Snell. He walked more. Um, in the spirit of Devil's Advocate, I'll go player one, but I'm not sure. Though, give me the K's one more time. Player one had 290 strikeouts. Player two had 221. Player two did not strike out that many. Um, I'll go play. Well, I mean, that's a lot, but compared to the other one, I'll go player one. <laughs> the correct answer was player two. That was Blake Snell in 2018. Oh my goodness. I You're getting all the players. You just aren't getting the right answer. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should uh, switch that around. All right. And our final Cy Young award coming up. All right. Sion voters love wins. They do, apparently. Player. Wait, who was player one in that one? Player one was Justin Verlander. Mm. <laughs> Is Justin Verlander in every single one of these hypos? And <laughs> uh, both of the AL ones he had. <laughs> so this one's NL. I will neither confirm nor deny. All right. Player one had a winning record of 16 and nine. He had 227.2 innings pitched, 254 strikeouts with a 3.04 ERA and a 1.001 whip. Player two had a record of 22 and four with 223 strikeouts. Sorry, 223 innings and 189 strikeouts with an ERA of 3.15 and a whip of 1.009. Nick, you are still up first. Is that not Rick Porcello? I'm going to go player two because he has 22 wins, and I know how much Cy Young voters love wins. Are you, you going to keep... guess a player? I don't want to guess a player, no. Okay. Brock? Um, could you give me player one's innings and K's one more time? Yes, player one through 227.2 innings and struck out 254. I think this is wrong. I don't think Max Scherzer ever struck out that many guys. I'll go Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer are notorious for not striking guys out. No. I just don't think that – I don't know. I'm going to go player one. It was player two, and that was the Rick Porcello versus Justin. Ah, Hill, I knew it. 2016. I knew it. The overcorrection. <laughs> I, I, I knew Rick Porcello had to be one of them. His ERA was 
what three something? And he started on three one five. Oh my goodness! He so won two games. I don't care if you win. That has nothing to do with how you pitch. That has everything to do with how your offense hits. No, I am on your team. I, yeah. I'm not. Not. I'm being. Uh, I agree. <laughs> I, I don't think Rick Porcello should have won the uh, signing that year. If I remember correctly, I think that might have been the year when I thought that uh, Zach Britton should have won the uh, Cy Young. Let me. He finished fourth in Cy Young voting that year. That was the year he had the point five four whip. Yeah, 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 was on the the Mariners, right? He was on the Red Sox when he won. Red Sox. Red Sox. And then he and went to the Mariners on a big deal and was terrible, yeah. The only reason that Porcello won was because one of the voters completely left Justin Verlander off his ballot. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because the points was 137, 132. That was very close. Mm-hmm. That's an, a discussion for another time, but the way they vote in the MLB needs to be – I mean, I believe that is shifting now. Yeah. Or so. Yeah, I think that year it should have been Zach Britton, to be honest. 47 saves. I don't think he blew a single save that entire year. ERA was 0.83. We would also have to go back to the archives. Has a a closer ever won the Cy Young? Could not tell you. I'm not sure about that. We should... We should uh, investigate. Maybe back in the day. No, no closer or reliever has won Cy Young Award since the Dodgers closer won. Eric Gagne won in 2003. Ben definitely would have known that. He loves Eric Gagne. But ben would probably be four. He would probably have eight points right now for getting all of them. He said all of them I don't, and the players. I don't know. I don't know names. I know numbers. <laughs> I, I, I think I, I guessed all the winners right, right? Uh, you so. missed the second one. Um, so the score is three to zero. <laughs> That's tough. <laughs> but again, tough. I'll give you bonus points. If you guess the winner and the runner-up, right? So you have up to three points per for this next one of the MVP section. And for the MVP, I will give you his batting average. We'll say OPS. Home runs and RBIs. Are you good with that? Steals, too. I'll give you steals. Okay. All right. For the first one, we have player one. He His batting average was 296. His OPS was 1,015. He had 41 home runs and 112 RBIs and five stolen bases. Player two, his batting average was 291. His OPS was 1.083. He had 45 home runs and 104 RBIs and 11 steals. I'll give you runs too. Player one had 122 runs. Player two had 110. What was the RBI counts? Player one had 112 RBIs. Player two had 104. And you were still up, Nick. Yeah, if you want some other stats, just let me know because offense, I feel like, has a lot more to play with it for the MVP. What was the average in home runs for each one? Player one had a 296 average with 41 home runs. 
player two had a 291 average with 45 home runs. Player one had 156 games played. Player two had 134. This is uh, is this Be Bellinger Yelich? And I think it went to the guy who had 150 something games instead of 130 because Yelich missed the last couple of weeks, maybe. So player one is what you were guessing. Yeah, I think the player that played 150 something. Okay, won. Brock. But also, this could be a Mike Trout 130 game season where he won the MVP. I don't know. I'm I'm gonna go with the 150 games. Yeah, I know that Ronald Acuna hit 41 home runs in his second year, but I he definitely stole more bases than that, so it's not him. I also don't know for sure that he was an MVP. Um, could you even stolen bases? It was 11 for player two, and then player one was five. Five. I don't know if that, those are trout. I don't know. Yellow stole more bases than that, too. Um Home runs, player one, player two. Player one had 41 home runs. Player two had 45. And Nick said player one? Correct. I'll go player – give me the average one more time. Player Just... one had a 296 average. Player two had a 291. I'll go player two, but I'm not sure who they are. This was the 2019 AL MVP race between Mike Trout and Alex Bregman, where player two, Mike Trout, won. Uh, I saw so I had, dang it. Mike Trout only stole 11 bases in 20. I thought he, yeah. That was probably when they stopped running as much. Wow. Well, this is going to be, uh, this is going to be the reverse, I guess. I'm going to get the players and get all of them wrong. Was that the year yeah. Alex Bregman was in the home run derby? I don't. If he didn't play in Houston, I'm going to rant for a second. If he didn't play in Houston, I don't know that he would ever hit more than 30. He just hits line drives. He gets no lift on the ball. It was like one of the worst home run derby performances ever because he couldn't lift the ball. He just hits line drives. Yeah. Former second overall pick, Alex Bregman. He actually had one full point of war more than Mike Trout that season. It was 8.9 to 7.9. Marcus Simeon actually had an 8.5 war, so Mike Trout wasn't even second in war that season. But the voting points was 355 to 335, so very close. All right. Next up, we have player one. They had a 346 batting average with a 0.957 OPS. They had 24 home runs, 112 runs, 81 RBIs, 32 steals. Player two had a 284 batting average with a 1,049 OPS with 52 home runs, nine steals, 128 runs, and 114 RBIs and nine steals. Brock, you got that last one correct. So it is your, your team. Home runs and average of player one and player two again? 
Player one had a 346 batting average with 24 home runs. Player two had a 284 batting average with 52 home runs. I mean, player two sounds way better. <laughs> um, 20 home runs versus 50, how many? It was 24 home runs for player one and 52 for player two. I don't think Pete Alonso was an MVP finalist when he hit 50 in his rookie year. Uh, I'm going to go player two just based on those numbers. Don't seem fair. This is okay. uh, this is player one, Jose Altuve, over player two, Aaron Judge. And Nick got all three correct. This was the 2017 MVP, AL MVP. Trash can banging season. Yes, correct. The only reason I know that is because Yankees Twitter always cries because Altuve stole uh-huh. MVP from Judge. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that. Although 346 batting average, very impressive, just looking at these numbers. Yeah, it's 346 crazy. batting average is insane. I never realized that Altuve batted that high in a uh-huh. season. But he had 204 hits that year. When you know what pitch is coming, it's easy to put it into play. They always did say Jose Altuve did not. Yeah, I will say that there's like the there's system. supposed to be supposedly some evidence that he refused to use it. Mm-hmm. He said that they he wouldn't let them rip his shirt off him because his wife would get upset. That's he had a bad BS. tattoo that wasn't done yet. That's BS. He had the but wire. I think it's crazy looking at this MVP race if you look at it. And Jose Altuve had 27 first place votes. Aaron Judge had two. Jose Altuve ended up with 405 votes, voting points. Aaron Judge had 279. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Aaron Judge had an eight-war season that year. Jose Altuve had 7.7. So it really is kind of absurd that how blown away that race was when you consider how like good of a season Aaron Judge had there. All right, so now the score is six to one, Nick to Brock. And moving on to the the next. All right. Player one had a 309 batting average with a 1044 OPS. He also had 35 home runs, 101 runs, 84 RBIs, 13 steals. Player two had a 313 batting average with a 999 OPS. He had nine steals, 29 home runs, 95 RBIs, and 111 runs. Nick, you are up first this time. That doesn't sound like either of them won the MVP. I will say one of the two players did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can I get the homers of each? Yes, player one had 35 home runs. Player two had 29 home runs. And the OPS? Player one had a 1,044 OPS. Player two had a 999 OPS. I'm going to go with player one. He was the one that had like seven more home runs, right? Or however many more? Six, correct. Six more. Yeah, I'm going to go with player one. 
I don't know who this is or when this would be though. Mm. Are these all within the last decade? Yes, I was too lazy to go back farther like I originally planned. Could so you give me run those stats through again? Wait, sorry, my dog was uh, crying. Nick, what which one did you say? Except player one. Okay, what, run them back one more time. Yep, player one had a three oh nine batting average and a thousand point. 1,044 OPS, 35 home runs, 101 runs scored, 84 RBIs, 13 steals. Player two had a 313 batting average, a 999 OPS, 29 home runs, 111 runs scored, 95 RBIs, and nine steals. I have no idea. Um, We'll go player two just in the spirit of going against Nick. Yeah, they both don't sound great. I don't know. Is it? Yeah, I don't know who they are. Go player two, though. This was the 2021 NL MVP. Uh, Brock, this is your guy, Bryce Harper, taking the MVP. However, it was player one. So Nick got the point there. Brutal. Sorry. You know, your big Bryce Harper guy I was really hoping you would get it for him. Yeah, that's uh, that's sad. I should know my boy stats mm-hmm. year, like two years ago. <laughs> yeah. who, did he, Again, these... who did he beat out there? Juan Soto. Which is kind of crazy because, like, I mean, the numbers are all very similar. That's interesting that those stats weren't as good as those other years. I wonder if it was, like, the shortened season with COVID maybe. I remember this year feeling – like the NL MVP race was very lackluster, especially because 2021 was when Shohei Otani just how unanimously won the MVP. That's fair. When you have the greatest season, maybe yeah. of all. <laughs> like those are still very good seasons, like a thousand OPS, 35 home runs, but very lackluster. And I, both of those player stats for those years, very similar, but Bryce Harper had 17 first place votes. Juan Soto had six. The vote points total was 348 to 274. So I feel like that's a big difference for how similar those stats ended up looking. Juan Soto had a 7.1 season, 7.1 war season. Bryce Harper only had 5.9. I was waiting for you to throw us for a loop and then throw in that uh, that Clayton Kershaw season where he had like a sub-2 ERA. And like... See, I, w- I was going to do that, but then I was like, wait. <laughs> Once I read a picture, you're going to know that it was Clayton Kershaw. So, it could have been always pitching stats. <laughs> but then I also would have had to list his hitting stats. That's fair. Yeah, I thought uh, one of the times I was going to ask, like, did this guy, like, have any ERA? Or, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do think that Shohei has kind of spoiled us a little bit with his seasons of late. I did not do any Shohei or Trail. All right, I'm moving on to the final one. And we'll make the points – Double or nothing. It's all, it's all in the bag here. Well, no, you have to get them all right, and Nick has to get none of them right in order for you to tie, and then we'll go to a lightning knockout bonus round. Excitement. I don't know. Uh, so, yeah. Final one. We have player one. His batting average, 319. His OPS, 0.987. He had 41 home runs, 112 RPIs, 108 runs scored, 
and 30 steals. Mm. Player number two, he had a 336 batting average with a 957 OPS, 24 home runs, 103 RBIs, and one steal. Nick, you're up first. Can you run through player one one more time? Just like maybe just like home runs and steals. Home runs, 41 steals, 30. There's no way this guy didn't win MVP. So no. what what are the, what were the other numbers again? Like the, uh, the OPS for the first guy? OPS for the first guy was 987. OPS for player two was 957. Batting average was 319 for player one. Player two was 336. Yeah, I'm going player one. All right. Any guesses on the players? 40-30? We've had a guy go 40-30 recently. It had to have been Acuna, right? I know who it is, yeah. Or Tatis, maybe? Tat- it's Acuna. I'm pretty sure that was his second year when he hit 41. He went like 40-30 his second year. Wait, 40. but did, Acuna doesn't have an MVP, though. I know. He, he lost to Mookie Betts, didn't he? Was, was Acuna's that second? Uh, 20, 2018 was Mookie's MVP. I don't was think Acuna... Part- I don't think Acuna. Yeah, I don't think Acuna would have been around that long in 2018, right? Acuna hasn't been around for six, seven years, has he? Six, five years, five, six Maybe. years. I think. <laughs> a 40-30 season. There's no way that didn't win MVP. I'm gonna say player one. All right, Brock. I'm pretty sure I said that earlier. I'm I'm pretty sure that was Acuna when he hit 41 in the second year, and he lost to Mookie Betts. I think was that Mookie's first year in LA? It had to have been if it was the NL. Save player two stats again. Player two had a 336 batting average with a 957 OPS, 24 home runs, 103 RBIs, one steal. How many runs did that player two have? 108. Wait, player two had 78, sorry. 78 runs? Run scored, correct. That's how Mookie is. Mookie always scored more. I don't know. I was so adamant about that being a Cunha and Mookie. I'm going to go with it and say Mookie player two. They would have been uh, ALNL. Right. Yeah, I don't think that's right. Well, you were correct with player one, Brock. This was the 2012 NL MVP award. I went way back to throw you guys off some. Player one or player two, the winner was Buster Posey. Player one, the runner-up, was Ryan Braun. Wow. I was way off. How many stolen bases? Ryan Braun had 30 stolen bases? Correct. Holy cow. I had no idea Ryan Braun had a 40-30 season. I didn't need it. I hated him. His batting stance, you can't see me on Zoom, but he had his hand, his bat started on the opposite side of his head. <laughs> it was so high. It was like above his head. Well, I was way off on that, but I guess I'm kind of on board with that, honestly. That Because first of all, Buster Posey's defense was so much better. But second of all, being a catcher and having those stats, like that's so much more valuable than just being Ryan Braun and having good stats. So I guess I'm kind of on board with Buster winning can you, that. Can we pull up uh, – Bansel, you got Google up. Can you search Ronald Acuna's second year? Sure. Do you have any stolen bases he had? That sounds really close to his – I think it was his second year. 
And I could be wrong about the 41 His home run. Second year was 2019. He batted 280 with an 883 OPS. He had 37 steals, 41 home runs, 127 runs scored, 101 RBIs. He finished fifth close. in his BP voting that year. Yeah. He went 41-37. He yes. almost went 40-40 in his second year. Yeah. How do you get and, fifth in MVP voting? Yeah. He finished he finished five behind Cattell Marte in MVP voting that year. It was Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich, Anthony Rendon, Cattell Marte, Ronald Acuna Jr. Well, Cattell Marte, he had a 32-10. Yelich also went 40-30 that year, 44-30. So Cody Yelich Bellinger was the I forgot that was the Yelich Cody Bellinger year. That year was insane. That would have been Especially, a good one to do too, because it looks like Yelich probably should have won that one. Yeah, but I guess maybe. Cody Bellinger probably has some defensive stats. Do you guys want to hear my uh, tiebreaker one that I had yeah. picked out? Yeah. All right. Player one had a 296 batting average with an 875 OPS. He had 139 runs scored, 30 home runs, 94 RBIs, 41 steals. Player two had a 340 batting average, a 1,012 OPS with 120 runs scored, 36 home runs, 137 RBIs, and 11 steals. Those are big seasons for player two. Brock, since you got that last one correct, and that one I determined was worth six points to tie it. <laughs> You're up first. Player two sounds way better, but say player one again. Player one, 296 batting average, 875 OPS, 30 home runs, 94 RBIs, 41 steals, 139 runs scored. Player two, 340 batting average. 1,012 OPS. He had 120 runs scored, 137 RBIs, 36 home runs, 11 steals. I have no idea. Um, I'll go just player one, but the 41 steals throws yeah. me up. I'm not sure. Outside of like the last decade, I really am not sure. It is prior to the last decade. It was like two decades ago. Mm. I don't know. I'm gonna go player player two player one. I don't I don't know who they are. I really I don't I don't have a guess. <laughs> Which is the one who had all the steals? One or player two? one had 41 steals. Um you said player one, Brock, is that correct? Yeah, they don't care about steals, so it's probably yeah, not. For the, for the spirit of the game, I'm going to say player number two. Because if it's Any two guesses? decades ago, steals are steals don't matter. Any guesses on players? Um, one of them's A-Rod, probably, if it's a 30-40 season, right? Or a 40-30? 30-40. Maybe A-Rod. Brock, no guesses? Mm-mm. The winner was player one, the 30-40 guy. That was Jimmy Rollins. Jimmy player Rollins. number two was Matt Holliday. Wow. I'm guessing Colorado, some Coors effect came into voting there. Yeah. Since he did uh, that like 50 points higher, had a very impressive season, almost a 
200 point difference in OPS. But it's going to make that, a really bad baseball fan, but I didn't realize that Jimmy Rollins won the MVP. What year was that? That was uh, 2007. A year wow. Mm. Yeah, I had no idea Jimmy Rollins won an MVP either. Mm. Alex Rodriguez in that same season went 54 and 24 for home runs and steals. Yeah, he won MVP that year. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a lot of stats. (laughs) That is a lot of stats. 156 RBI. Mm. 143 runs. 9.4 war, which I'm curious. So does that mean even though I lost? Yes. Yeah, even though you lost, you still won. Kind of like we with uh, the first game. <laughs> you know. All right. All before before we end here, we should talk a little bit about Jordan Walker, and then we can send it off. Did we lose? Nick? It's going to be like a two-hour episode, longest episode ever. Oh, did you lose me? Am I here? You're good. Sorry. You're good. I might have lost you. <laughs> no, it, that was Nick. Um, yeah, I just was saying that before we end here, we should talk a little bit about Jordan Walker. We've had probably the longest episode ever here. It's a, um, it's a two-part listener for all you new, fans out there. New, uh, new, new chin music record here. Yeah, my game and I guess stats took up some time, but I hope well, it was just, worth it. Yeah, we've just have been talking a lot today. We had a lot of tea today, a lot of tea. We did have a lot of tea. Uh, I saw listening in chunks throughout the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the thing that I saw is that Jordan Walker's played like five of the last nine or 10 games, which we had talked on the last, I don't know if it was the last show or two shows ago. We talked specifically about like Jordan Walker playing time and how the one thing that we didn't want to see was Jordan Walker in the majors, not playing. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of exactly what we've been seeing. I'm curious what our thoughts are there. I do think that right now we have better players to put in the lineup, but I just, it really is a bummer seeing him up in the majors and not playing every day because I think that playing every day is what we need to develop. Now I saw a tweet today. I'm trying to find it for reference as to a reason why he was sitting. Let me see if I can't find it real quick so that I can cite it for us. Yes. Jordan Walker has been working on a variety of things with his swing, specifically his posture and rotation, which is why he's been out of the lineup for the last two games. There has also been a focus to get him off the ground more and lower his chase rate outside the zone. So I guess they've got something that they're looking at specifically and a reason why they're sitting him. But I don't understand why he can't do those things while playing. Vance will go ahead. Oh, real quick before I talk about that, that A-Rod season that we were talking about, he had a, a 9.1 war. Shohei Otani in his 2021 MVP season had 8.9 when that's also offense and pitching accumulating into that. So A-Rod season was just crazy. Well, but before, I don't want to dive too deep into that, but I think Shohei Otani broke the war stat because he has pitching war and hitting war that's calculated yeah. differently. Uh-huh. So he has it's wins above replacement for a hitter and wins above replacement for a pitcher, but it's above replacement in both ones. So his pitching stats have a replacement level player being subtracted from them, and his hitting stats have a replacement level player being subtracted from them. 
So Shoyotani is basically having two different player stats being subtracted from his stats. So Shoyotani breaks the war stat, I think, because it's because he basically is two players on your roster at once. So I don't think anybody in the history of baseball has ever had a more valuable season than Shohei Otani has the last two years. So I think that he kind of breaks the war stat, just to kind of go on a tangent there. But That might be true, but the fact that it's two players worth of Shohei Otani versus A-Rod's one player worth is still crazy in itself that A-Rod had more war. Yeah, but, but just the like idea said, is that he's having yes. – Yeah, yeah. No, I agree, because it doesn't – accumulate the the two players into one factor yeah but with the jordan walker thing i have a, a theory about that is that uh that's actually ali Marmol's way to force john mozaloc's hand to make a trade because john mozaloc's going to get all of his praise for drafting jordan walker and look at the stud he's going to be so he is purposely not playing him as much so that the development isn't there and john mozaloc doesn't look as good so then he has to trade an outfielder to get the pitching so that Jordan Walker looks better, i.e. John Mozeliak looks better for drafting him. It's all mind games. Yeah, I'm, Hells, I'm Helsley is also about to blow our lead right now. I don't know if you all are watching. I am watching. Yeah, I don't have a VPN, so hard yeah, to watch. Hel- Helsley is about to blow our lead. It's 4-3 uh, to three with run around second now in the bottom of the ninth, no outs. Um, and just another thing to kind of throw out there before you discuss, Brock, is that I saw a stat that the Cardinals have not won a single series opener all year long. I don't know what, how to interpret that. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's a manager thing. I don't know if that's like a road trip player thing. I don't know what that is or how to interpret that. But the Cardinals have not won a single first game of a series this whole year. When he was talking to the media about that, he being Ali Marmol, uh, he mentioned that they brought that up and he was like, oh, that's not concerning. That's just something that'll average out in the long run. They also only have uh, two wins in games where they won the previous day. I.e., Their longest win streak is two and it's happened twice. So they're like two and nine after wins or something like that. It's kind of absurd. I personally think that this is just going to be one of those fluky seasons where there's just a ton of bad luck and a lot of bad things go wrong. And the season's over. I'm going to watch. I'm going to suffer. But I'm out on the Cardinals this year. I think it's done. Uh, I'm going to watch every game I can still. It's going to be a painful road. And I'm not looking forward to it. But I think it's just going to be one of those fluky years that's weird like that. Vansel, just <laughs> last just last week, <laughs> you walked us through all these numbers. And you said, don't worry about the Cardinals. We're going to be fine. And literally the next day, we scored 14 runs. And I was like, Vansel knows what's going on. Vansel's on it. And now that you're giving up on him, I don't know what to think. Those you know, who I did give those numbers. But, those you know. Brown just saw the dark night of the soul for Vansel. Um, this is, go back to what you said originally. I think that's kind of a hot take. Um, and then I don't know that it's entirely wrong about the whole Jordan Walker sitting him, Ollie Marmel trying to play the only hand that he's got that like Mo is to blame for our lack of pitching. The only thing saving Mo is Jordan Walker being potential rookie of the year. So if he sits the potential rookie of the year, tanks a a few more weeks, forces Mo's hand even further, if that's the angle that we're going to take, then maybe Mo does make make a change or make a trade for a pitcher. 
I don't like Ollie. I really don't like Mo more than I don't like Ollie. So I think that's an interesting take. I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, from a more pure like player development perspective, I will like go back to what Nick said with the whole hitting streak potentially hurting Jordan Walker because they kept playing him every day, even though despite his struggles and his ground ball rate and his inability to lift the ball for power, they kept playing him because they wanted him to extend that hitting streak and he kept extending the streak. So they had to keep playing him. So he extended the streak. Um, but now that he's the streak is over, I think reality's kind of set in that he does have some concerns that he needs to work on. I don't know. I'm always kind of a Cardinals pessimist, I guess, in the last few years. Despite us winning the division, us having a great regular season, we always bomb out of the playoffs because we don't have an ace. We don't have two aces. We saw the Phillies last year who barely squeaked into the playoffs. They have two aces. They absolutely destroy us because we can't score runs in two games. If we can't get an ace, we can't develop an ace. I don't know. Like, yeah, the regular season doesn't matter. Um, so that's kind of more of a more of a can of worms that we really need to get into. But I think we'd be patient with Jordan Walker. He's not to blame for the Cardinals' downfall. Um, he's one of the very he's one of the bright spots on the team. But as far as the traveling goes. One of my biggest concerns with the Cardinals is I don't think we have that energy guy or that guy that goes into the dugout um, and really lights lights a fire under the guys. I love Arenado. I love Goldschmidt. Wouldn't trade him for the world. They're not the kind of personalities to say, hey, let's write, the, write this ship. Or, like, I don't know. We, we, they just don't seem like high energy guys. You watch teams like the Padres, the Mets, kind of the Braves. Acuna is not really that kind of guy, but watch those teams that are electric. They always have one of those guys like Tatis, Lindor, those vocal leaders who really light a fire under the guys when they need it. I don't think the Cardinals have that, and I don't know that you can really acquire that via trade, um, but somebody needs to step up, step up in that clubhouse, and if it's not Ollie, maybe it needs to be Arenado or Goldie or, I don't know, Wilson Contreras or somebody to say, hey, we can't keep losing – the first game in the series because it sets a terrible tone and a terrible precedent for the, for the series when you're already in a no one hole. Yeah. I've got an interesting little stat line for you that I just pulled up right now. I'm going to give you two players stat lines and you have to tell me who is who I will tell you the two players are Paul Goldschmidt and Jordan Walker. So the first stat line is batting 277. That's 14, Jordan Walker. 14 runs two homers, nine RBI, and two steals. Jordan Walker. The next one is 274, eight runs, right, two, homers, Walker. two homers, 11 RBI, and two steals. So one player has 14 runs, the other has eight runs. One player has nine RBI, the other player has 11 RBI. Other than that, it's pretty much identical across the board. You got Vansel. Uh, player two is Jordan Walker because it has less runs. Jordan Walker bats lower in the lineup where we don't really generate the runs. I'll just go the opposite. Whatever you just said, player two, um, to make a point that Paul Goldschmidt's thirty-five. We can't rely on him to be an MVP again. But who? Yeah. Would... The, I think my bigger point here. Yes, player two was Jordan Walker. He has Ooh. fewer runs, Vansel, not less runs. Um, 
the the point that I was trying to make here is that I think we were all just talking so negatively about Jordan Walker, and yet his stat line is almost identical to Paul Goldschmidt right now. When did we talk positive about Paul Goldschmidt though? That's that's true. That's you're the that, one that, that you're the one that makes the rundown sheet. I don't see you putting Paul <laughs> Goldschmidt on here. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess maybe the conversation should be more about Paul Goldschmidt and Arenado and how each of them only have two homers and haven't really been doing what we need them to do. Uh, they had a, there were a discussion about Nolan Arenado on 101 ESPN radio today. And uh, they were saying how in game one of this giant series, they sat Arenado because despite the fact that he has really good numbers at Oracle Park and is batting like 500 against Alex Cobb because they're working on a mechanical issue with Arenado. So, I, th- I mean, I think both of them are just like not dialed in right now. Maybe that's a, a, a side effect of getting ramped up for the WBC and then coming home and having those like, we'll say the lame duck period where it's still spring training. So then they're like, their adrenaline was all used up and now they're, they came down and they just got to ramp back up for the regular season. Maybe that has something to do with it. I mean, every guy's different. So maybe for them, that's the case for other guys that had good WBCs and are continuing it into the, the regular season. I'm curious to see what the, just what those numbers really look like to see if there's a similar effect. Amongst that's them. that's that, interesting to me that you say Arenado is sitting because he's working on something mechanically as well. Because that's kind of the same thing I was just reading about Jordan Walker from Twitter. Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't see that or I haven't heard that very much. It's it just really in, just a timing thing that's just throwing them off because they're always tinkering with the mechanics. Yeah, I just I feel like I don't hear about a lot of guys in baseball sitting trying to work out mechanic stuff. Like I feel like. I don't know. It's it seems weird. It seems weird, and it seems weird that both these guys are doing it. You're just messing with their mindsets, and yeah. I don't know. If you overthink baseball, you're not going to be successful. <laughs> I did think it was weird how much Arenado and Goldschmidt were sitting to begin this year. I feel like they've they've sat like once a week, maybe twice a week at some times. But who's whose call do you think that is? If they're working on something mechanically, like whose call is it that they're sitting out while they're doing that? They probably have a whole staff that's like, hey, you're kind of doing this wrong. Maybe just take a day off. Because, I mean, if Arenado's given the op- option, he's probably not going to sit out. So it's probably like a, look, this guy's like really down bad. He just needs a breather, mentally reset himself, get some cage time in and do some homework to focus up. Yeah, I don't think Arenado would sit willingly. Mm-mm. I don't think it, w- it was – so much that he's like disagreeing with the decision as much as it is like he's not going to be the one to come up to Ali and be like, hey, I need an off day. Right. Right. No, definitely agreed. Also, the Cardinals did blow that game. Ryan Housley gave up a two-run walk-off home run. You're kidding me. I did not. Dude. I'm also a pessimistic Cardinals fan, but that's only when I'm talking to other Cardinals fans. I'll be pessimistic. If Ben was on this podcast, I don't know if I'd be saying that. I'm not going to let some other fan base uh, talk that way about the Cardinals. Um, 
we're the ones that get to talk that way. I'm holding out hope, but I think that we call Libertor up hopefully within the next month, see if he can bolster the rotation. If not, we, you, you can't be successful without a true ace in the MLB today. Mm-hmm. Find me another top team that doesn't have one or two aces that come in game in and game out and just shut a team down. You can't. You just, you just can't be successful without one. And when Mo traded away Sandy, and I know Sandy was young and didn't look like the Sandy is today, and traded away the Zach Gallon, he didn't look like the Zach Gallon he is today. But he also let Lance Lynn walk, and Lance Lynn would have been a great back into the rotation piece. So, just so many moves that I don't know. It's hard to justify, and we keep firing managers and blame them. But I think it's top down. Yeah, I did see something on Twitter today that was like John Mozeliak will never go because it's a partnership between Mozeliak and the DeWitts. So yep. in order for that to change, it will be John Mozeliak once is done. They extended on? him this year. <laughs> yeah, so it's either Mozeliak steps down or ownership changes, and I don't really see either of them happening. Nope. I think it's a uh, more hopeful to say that's a fluke year as an excuse versus being like this team's bad. So at least there's hope next year when we don't make the moves that we inevitably hope that they make. I will say we make this year. We may what? We'll still make the playoffs this year. Yeah, I was like, there's no way we can be giving up on this year already. There's no way. I think we finished 500 and we're clawing for 500. I on the on the bright side. I am going to get to see some Cardinals baseball this weekend down in town playing the Dodgers. I think I'll probably go to the uh, Saturday game. I'll have to, have to give a report next week for the pod. Live podcast from Dodger Stadium. Why? It'll be on Saturday unless you want to record on a Saturday night. If that's what it takes, that's what it takes. I'm dedicated. Live from Dodger Stadium. Yep, I'll be in Kirksville. What are you doing in Kirksville? Are you going to figure out this uh, this hacking situation? Are you going up to fix it? I'm Who's actually expecting a payday coming up soon. That's why I'm <laughs> going to be in Kirksville. Gotcha. Like no, it's alumni weekend. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that was that was a hell of a pod, boys. That's that's definitely the longest one we've ever done. That's going to be over two hours, I think. Shout out Jonas. It's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Happy birthday Jonas. You are terrible at MLB The Show. Um, that's all I have to say. Shout out, Jonas. Happy birthday. I will say you're not terrible at the show. I, I see that you're losing a lot of games, yes, but a lot of them have been close. And I I think that you're going you're gonna to get that win here very soon. I think a lot of them are close because people mentally check out against you. Like, that happened to me in the series. Uh, our second game, he got up on me because I was just making a bunch of errors in the field. And then I was like, all right, I have to try. So then I just walked him off. It was pretty funny really defeated his morale um happy birthday by the way bud all right happy birthday jonas last plug right here uh, the only way to go up from here the only way to go from here is up um i'm also going to plug his uh, tiktok instagram page excuse the explicit here docs bitching kitchen um thank you for that vansel um yeah also yeah, the, the nfl draft is this weekend so i'm, I'm gonna be in kansas city so yeah also be- Shout out Paul for keeping me honest on the uh, game that I played last week. 
Uh, Dan Brothers, the uh, Hall of Famer. Um, I guess there is also a Dan Brothers company. There's a shoe company. So Dan Brothers could have actually fallen into both categories. Uh, do you recall what I answered for that one? <laughs> I believe you said company. Let's um, work Give me my point back. So uh, I appreciate Paul for uh, listening and keeping me honest and sending me that message. I think Paul's gotten a shout out in the last three podcasts now. Three podcasts running. All right. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate any uh, subscriptions or reviews that you want to send out. Um, congratulations for listening to the entire record-breaking Chin Music Podcast.